In the Green Room with Bob O'Brien, brought to you by SOS Global Express. So today, folks, I'm in the green room with tour director and tour manager, Juliette Slater. Juliette has been in the industry for 27 years or more. She's been leading and directing tours for Queen with Brian May and Roger Taylor since 2004, initially with Paul Rogers on lead vocals, and since then with Adam Lambert, which is the Queen and Adam Lambert tour. She's worked with so many artists along the way, huge artists like Pink Floyd, Peter Gabriel, The Spice Girls, Goldfrapp. Yusuf, uh, Cat Stevens, Jeff Beck, uh, Marine in the Diamonds, and Jesse Ware. Juliet, welcome to the Green Room. I think I've covered a lot of the artists there, have I? Yes, there's, there's a good handful there, for sure. Yeah. So Juliet, we worked together. Uh, we first met in Queen and Paul Rogers. I think 2004, was it? Yes. For 6664, I did a couple of those. I did one down in um, South Africa in George, which I think was 2004. Three or four, oh, and then yes, we did that, one in Tromso in or in Nor. Ah, oh, were you in the Norway one? Uh, yes. So you did one in Georgetown. Then there was another one in Cape Town, which we did with the chorus, and then we did another one in Tromso, which we made again in Tromso. Yeah, in Norway, wasn't it? The yes. Land of, is it the land of the midnight sun? Tromso. Land of the midnight sun. I spent quite a lot of time there. I was there because that um, on that I was the sort of managing the artist liaison side of things. Actually, the 46664 is how I first worked with Queen's manager. Oh, okay. He was an exec producer for, for the charity. Which is Jim, um, Jim Beach. Yeah, so that was where we first worked together because I worked with him on the George show, Fancourt, it was the name of the venue, mm. and again in Tromso. And then it was shortly after that I started working for Queen. Ah, and then it conti- it's continued to this day then, because you're, you're sort of management and tour director on Queen to this day, aren't you? Yeah, well, the, I, I did the kind of a chunk of the Paul Rogers stuff around 2004 to 2006. Then there was, for me, there was a break. And then I came back in when Adam came in when we did our first shows in 2012. And effectively, that kind of tour cycle started in 2012 and is still going on yeah. obviously save for COVID-19 but yeah we've done something pretty much every year since then. I uh, yeah I thoroughly enjoyed my time with you guys on the Queen and well the Queen and Paul Rogers touring at the time and uh, we were only we were only talking about some funny stories there last week with Pete um, uh, it was just, it was a different, different time for me as well. I didn't have, a, I suppose I didn't have a, a, any production responsibilities, but uh, yeah. some very funny moments on that. Particularly the bus stories. The backline bus was legendary on that tour um, and the nightly parties with Queen yeah. theme songs. And I can't believe that Pete didn't remember, however, um, I know we weren't supposed to mention his name, but Alan Pollard and his love of, of dressing up for the Try Your Mother's Gown, he didn't just have one outfit, he had two that evening. <laughs> I don't remember that actually, did he? <laughs> Maybe there's a reason you don't remember. <laughs> and Juliet, would you give us a bit of background on how you started in the music industry? Okay, so me, getting into the music industry, I sort of fell into it by mistake. I was working in TV production and I had gone for an interview to work for a producer who produced TV commercials and she didn't give me the job, which I was very upset about at the time. But she phoned me up about three months later and it turned out she was married to Pink Floyd's manager, um, Steve O'Rourke. And she said, look, I know I didn't, I didn't hire you for the job, but I think 
you might be good for this. My husband's looking for someone um, to go on the road with him and I think you might fit the bill. Would you go and meet him? So I did. Um, and that was the start of my touring career. And actually some of my, certainly at best times, I had fantastic time on, on Pink Floyd. I had fantastic mentors on, on that. Um, I mean, Steve O'Rourke being one of, you know, life's legendary managers. Mm. I, I see him and Jim Beach on a par, actually, in terms of being at the top end of the best of management. Um, and at the time, the tour manager was a guy called Tony Howard, who had a very long-standing relationship with the band. Um, and he taught me a lot. And the production director was Robbie Williams, not the pop star, the other one, yeah. who I then went on and did quite a lot of work for as well, actually, on, on large event stuff. And another of which I think you and I both worked on, which was the party at the Palace. The oh, Palace. yes, yes, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, which you talked about the other day, yeah. We did with the fire, the fire at the Palace. The fire at the palace. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was that was not a good day for Pete Wills. He thought it might have been his fault. It wasn't, as it turned out. <laughs> <laughs> but he didn't have a good time of it that day. But yeah, I spent like a month sitting in the sitting at the bottom of the garden at Buckingham Palace. I loved it. Do you know what? Wasn't it? I'm just thinking on that show, Party the Palace. Wasn't? Um, I think it was. Maybe it was somebody like Shirley Bassey or. Somebody like that got up to sing on the main stage in the rehearsals and uh, actually started, I think she started complaining that the drummer wasn't keeping in time or whatever. And when everybody turned around, it was Phil Collins and drums up behind. Remember that? <laughs> Something like that. Probably. <laughs> it was. <laughs> it was a bit like, oops. <laughs> I think that gig was a who's who of, of yeah. uh, musicians, that's for yeah. sure. And then after Pink Floyd, how long were you with uh, Peter Gabriel then? Or I did a couple of tours with him. So I was, I think that was around sort of 2003, 2004, I think. If memory serves right. Yeah, I did a few, I did a few legs out and about. Did we work, uh, and I'm just thinking now as we're chatting, did we, did we do stuff together on Jeff Beck? Because I, yes. I worked with Sharon Core and we guested with Jeff Beck. You, you did. Going back to the uh, Tromso, to the, the 4764 yes. shows, uh, you, you spent so much time there. I mean, I, I think I was there for about four or five days. I do remember we'd be sitting on site and, uh, working with um, Lizzie Adshead, I'm sure you know. Yes. Uh, yeah. And we'd be working away, and sometimes I'd go, oh, you know, my eyes are really hurting. And I'd go, what time is it? And be, oh my God, it's two in the morning. But because the sun was still up, <laughs> You had no perspective as to what, whether it was day or night. Um, we had we worked some long that. hours on that. I, 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 you know, Julian Lavender was the production manager on that yes, one. Julian, yeah. Um, and I do remember him singing at Zucchero, who was rehearsing. It was like a day or two before the gig. He was rehearsing. Everybody's got to... What's that song? Everybody's got to learn sometimes. Everybody's got to learn sometimes. And Julian was shouting at the stage, everyone's got to sleep sometime! <laughs> <laughs> As he wouldn't get off the stage. You know what? He, there's another absolutely lovely person with a bit of a madzer as well, Zuccaro. Yeah. Yeah, he, I just remember him walking around and he always had a teeny tiny rucksack on his back. And we always wondered what was actually in it. 
We had one fantastic night there. It must have been after the gig. As I was with Sharon, I was just doing Sharon slots, so I wasn't working the long hours you guys were. But we were back at the hotel, and I think it was Robert Plant, it was Brian May, it was Roger Taylor, it was Zuccaro, and a host of other people uh, just having a sing-song back at the hotel. Sitting there with my two tour beauties, Caroline Henry and Sharon Corr, I was in great company. You I did, and actually I remember really clearly. Yeah, actually when we were, um, while we're doing these podcasts, uh, and what's lovely about them is there's a lot of people all back in touch with each other again, just even dropping each other texts and photos, and only just before I came to chat you, I got a video through from uh, an old Franz Ferdinand tour. It's a video of me trying to come in through a hotel at night with the revolving doors shut. So uh, it's absolutely, you know what? It's absolutely harmless and hilarious. But oh, I would, I, I, I'd just be shocked if it showed because these days those things show up in social media, so you don't get a yeah. chance. You don't get a chance, and it's out. It's completely out of context, you see. So you have no chance. Yeah. <laughs> when was the Spice Girls? Spice Girls. Uh, I worked for them sort of late '93. Oh no, sorry. Late 97 and through 98, so I did, well, from their very first live show, actually, mm. in Istanbul, um, and then their whole world tour, sort of in the height of their fame. Do you have a favourite part of touring? For me, I mean, aside from people, which obviously is, uh, you know, the people that you work with, which is important, um, my probably favourite moments are when I take five minutes in the middle of a show, and I just go and walk out, and I walk out, walk through the audience, maybe go up high, maybe stay on the floor, and just marvel at people's unadulterated pleasure in watching a show and being feeling really grateful and happy that I've played my part in making that happen for them. And actually, I remember back in my, all my first tour on Pink Floyd, I remember going out with um, the band's personal security guy, Barry Knight, and wandering out front before a show and he would have a handful of tickets for like right down at the front and he would give them to people that either didn't have tickets or had tickets up in the gods and actually when you see their faces uh, realizing what they've just been given that kind of thing is priceless as well and to be able to do that is lovely you know you mentioned barry there i mean i saw again because i'm back on social media I saw that barry does a fantastic charity uh, event that he has on social media yeah i saw yeah, I, I, I saw he was doing, I mean, Barry's always been, he is a man of the people and has always done good things. And obviously he's doing a great thing right at the moment, raising money and, and distributing food yeah. to people who need it, which is, you know, amazing. What's your least favourite part of touring? Probably airports. Airports and the travel aspect of it. It just gets more and more difficult. I mean, yeah. forget what's going on right now, because it's just... No, I'm impossible, but actually, you know, in the last 20 odd years, it, it has changed and become more tricky to get through airports. Everything takes longer, you can carry less, you know, you've got to worry about your liquids and um, what you can carry in your bag. Um, and when I, I, I always think when I first went to Australia and was taking um, domestic flights, it was like catching a bus. I mean, you just literally walked up, got on the plane and went. And those days have now sadly gone. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, and I, I've touched on this in the podcast too, I think it's connecting the decades or connecting the, the events in the history that have kind of shaped the industry as well. Like September 11th, it changed everything for us from a flying perspective. I mean, 
travel was probably <laughs> fun up to then, but after after that, travel just as you say, travel just became horrible. Yeah, just really hard work. When I was going on tour with Pink Floyd, which was 1994, I remember we picked up all the passports and we dropped them at the US Embassy in Grosvenor Square in one big pile and then came and picked them up, you know, some days later. I mean, God, can you imagine that happening now? <laughs> or you know what? Like I, I was saying to Henry McGrogan recently, I mean, when we when we toured together on the cores and Mike Scott before that and stuff, uh, you know, uh, Henry or Caroline or on Mike Scott, myself and Henry would go out to the airport in advance a couple of hours and we'd check everybody and do all the baggage, get yeah. the boarding passes. Everybody would just rock up, collect their passport and boarding pass and go to the lounge or go to the gate. I mean, Jesus, those days are well gone. I think I'm enjoying in, uh, since I stopped the touring, I don't miss traveling en masse. I don't miss traveling. I miss the, I miss the camaraderie and I miss the banter and the, the crew and the friends and tour but I don't miss moving people around and I don't miss traveling in large groups. I don't mind confessing to you, because actually in the tour director role, I don't really have to deal so much with the logistics of moving, every, of yeah. moving everybody around physically. Mm. Um, and one of my joys is if I can fly on my own. Yeah, oh, that's, you know, that's where I am at the moment. I think just because geographically and, and where I'm moving and what I'm doing, and I'm moving quite a lot as well these days, but I'm going on my own. I start up my own travel arrangements, and if the flight's delayed, it's delayed. And I look up at the board, and if the flight's delayed, well, then I just wait till the new announcement's made, and there's nothing you can do about it, and I don't yeah. too much. Yeah. Although you do do that weird thing of kind of looking over your shoulder, expecting to see a trail of people behind you. <laughs> <laughs> In your time, I mean, I'm just looking at the list of artists here. There has to be an unusual or outrageous rider that you've had to hold or put together. Tell you what was the oddest one. I did a week away with James Brown around the UK. Oh. And I had to source a hooded hairdryer in every town. A which had to go to his, a suite in his hotel. Hmm? Repeat that, a hairdryer? A hooded, you know those old-fashioned 60s hair dryers that the ladies used to sit under to get their hair dry with their curlers in? Of course, in. yeah, like in a salon. Yeah. Yeah, okay. You had to get one of those. Yeah, had to get one. And in fact, I think what we did in the end, because they were so difficult to get hold of, because, I mean, in the 60s and 70s, they were everywhere. But of course, come the 90s, very few salons had it. So actually, I ended up, I think, hiring one from one salon and then touring it, because we were never going to find it everywhere. Because allegedly, and I never saw this, but allegedly it was because he needed somewhere to set his wig. Oh, my God. Yeah, I hired it from the salon. I think it was that difficult. I actually literally went knocking on doors saying, "Have you? Do you have one? Can I? Can I please borrow it for a couple of weeks?" <laughs> I will always remember that tour. They were an amazing bunch of people. Really interesting. Uh, and the way he worked his band was was something to behold. Like watching Soundcheck with him, he he worked them really hard. He was proper old school. If they played a wrong note, he would find them. Uh, which I also heard Prince did as well. He'd spin around and like go, meaning I've just fined you five hundred dollars. What about uh, absurd pseudonyms you've had to check people in under? I know that Duran Duran had a hilarious. A couple of the guys out of Duran Duran had hilarious pseudonyms, but do you know, sadly, I can't remember what they were. But they were good. Did you? So did you? You worked with Duran Duran? 
Yeah, I, I did a couple of runs with them covering for Chris Rowley, actually. Oh, um, okay. Stepping, stepping for him. But yeah, again, loved working with them. Lovely bunch of guys. Actually, really, really nice. I was not particularly a fan of their music as a teenager or, or tween. But actually, when I did did some shows with them, actually, their, their shows were great. And they did write some good songs, actually. Yeah. They good pop. They're, they're, they're proper pop. Any strange requests then from a band member? Nothing is ever really deemed strange, is it? Nothing's yeah. well, beyond the realms of, realms of possibility when it comes to artists. So, I think, yeah. yeah. It's, all, it's all within a day's work and tour. Exactly, exactly. Any funny moments that spring to mind? Funny moment, I mean, too many probably to, to really mention. Um, one good highlight, I think, in my time with Goldfrapp, because I've worked with them for a long, long time, was doing playing the Pyramid Stage at Glastonbury, and Alison, another incredibly creative, brilliant mind, um, had decided to have dancers, which we, we've had on more than one occasion, that's all fine. But they were to dance around a maypole, which we had, which is also fine. And then actually at the last minute she decided they, they should be topless, which um, never have I seen so many crew so close to the stage during a performance. <laughs> Only to be seconded by last, this last year, Queen Adam Lambert did a turn. They had the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders came up on stage with them. Um, to do Fat Bottom Girls when we were in Dallas. And again, sound check. I, amazingly, nobody was in catering. Nobody was in the offices. Everybody had something they absolutely had to do in the arena at that time. So another thing I, I ask about is uh, sort of changes and trends on tour from when you started, let's say pre-Pink Floyd, to sort of now especially sort of in your line as, as a TM and tour director, like booking hotels and stuff, uh, connectivity with people, t itineraries, day sheets, that kind of thing. Uh, oh, awful lot God. Of uh, yeah. I mean, if I, so Pink Floyd, I mean, and I wasn't the producer of the day sheet, that was Tony Howard's job. Day sheets then were, he had a template, which he hand wrote the, you know, fill in the gaps with the information for the next day attach some funny piece from the newspaper or a cartoon or something, which again, he would just cut out from the newspaper, stick at the bottom of the day sheet. Um, his assistant would then go off, get them photocopied and push them under everybody's door. So yeah, the pushing, pushing stuff under doors, that bit I don't miss, yeah. certainly. Um, also waking up to, again, from, from back in that, that time period, which was before I had a mobile phone, I did have a, I had my first laptop on Pink Floyd and I did have a little dial up, but nobody was really on email then. It wasn't an email thing particularly. Mm. So you would get hundreds and hundreds of faxes every day. And sometimes I couldn't open my door for the amount of faxes kind of trying to be stuffed under my door by the um, hotel. So yeah, obviously that all changed with connectivity becoming the norm and then the next stage would have been and I do remember this actually from Peter Gabriel times I mean I remember doing rehearsals we went to Italy to Peter's Peter had a, has a place in Italy we went and rehearsed out did band rehearsals out there and we would be sitting in the office we'd have one little airport not even express and it was just an airport you know Apple airport 
on a dial-up and we'd all happily be doing our emails on that. I mean, there was no who's using up all the bandwidth because it was, we would only use it for kind of basic stuff then. Mm. And obviously that has come on in leaps and bounds in the last 10 years. Um, I mean, now we have really specific instructions on the rider about our, what bandwidth we need and how we need to, you know, connectivity and we tour our own system so that we can have, you know, the band and the crew can all get online with the same password every day. They don't have to worry about what's, what is it in this venue. So that has changed massively in the last 25 years, 27 years. Isn't it, isn't it amazing how, um, and I mean, for all the right reasons too, but isn't it amazing that the singular most important thing on a daily basis uh, on a tour when you hit, especially when you hit a venue, uh, you get off a touring bus or whatever, the singular most important thing used to be where the toilets and showers are. Now it's first get online. get online, connectivity to home, social media, just to people. And yeah. I, think, I do think it's, I, I didn't really, I won't say I didn't understand the importance of it. I didn't accept the importance of it. In, in the last 10 years or so because um, I was too busy just getting the gig done. But, but over the years I realized that it's people's, people's, people are in that bubble and it's their only connection outside the bubble. It's their only- oh, I, And actually, I do, it's one of the things I do like actually, is, you know, you walking down the corridors and you know, backstage at a stadium or arena or whatever. And, and there's lots of crew, crew in different little pockets of, of corridors. Yeah. Yeah on FaceTime or on Skype or on WhatsApp, talking to their kids and talking yeah. to their wives and their husbands and their girlfriends and boyfriends and whatever. And that being able to stay in touch, I mean, that's actually something that has changed yes. so radically. Again, on my first tour, I remember getting faxes from my boyfriend at the time and being able to actually see people, even if you're not with them, uh, you know, makes a massive difference. I remember being on tour and trying to send a fax to a hotel of where somebody related to me was getting married. So I'd send the fax, wishing them the very best. And then I had to ring the hotel long distance from Japan or wherever and make sure that the hotel, then I had to ring the hotel back because the manager wasn't on duty yet. And when you think about it, like the, the lengths you'd go to like. Yeah, I think it's really important. Uh, you know, everybody has lives outside of the bubble um, and being able to, make sure they can maintain that, I think is, is an important part of touring. Do you like what's happening with the WhatsApp groups and stuff like that? I love and hate WhatsApp in equal measure. I think it's a really useful tool to have, especially for sharing information with multiple people at the same time and updating people. But um, what I hate about it is people that want to use it for their stream of consciousness, um, where it pings every 30 seconds with useless stuff you don't really need to know or could wait until you see them but yeah I for the most part it's really useful and actually I use it because I don't live in the UK I use it a lot while I'm sitting in Spain because it's a really easy way of having regular phone calls uh, you know phone calls with um, other business people um, as needed so it's good on balance. Juliet what's the single most annoying thing about somebody or human nature and tour that drives you bonkers? Two things, both uh, particularly musician related in, in, in this, from my experience. Um, drummers with practice pads on the bus and bass players who shall remain nameless 
chewing gum really loudly in a small van. <laughs> oh, you, you know what? You need time off. <laughs> <laughs> isn't it in the bonkers, isn't it? So when you, when you travel, aisle or window seat? Depends. If it's a short haul, I prefer to be um, in an aisle seat. If it's a long haul, I prefer to be tucked away in the window, as long as I don't have to climb over anybody to get out. Mm. Have you unsung heroes on tour? Well, I know that uh, the, I, and a lot of people I know on your podcast have said this, and I think it's absolutely true and correct, is caterers, without, goes without saying. For me, actually, another unsung hero for me for touring is my travel agent. Because actually, they do so much work behind the scenes that people are never aware of. Um, but for me, I'll, you know, in doing what I do, are my right hand. You know, making sure the hotel's correct when you get there and the flights aren't fucked up. And kind of, you know, watching your back for you. The work goes on pre, during and after the tour with them and they just get on with it. So unsung hero and extremely important cog in the wheel. I think you were to be on tour right now, wouldn't you? Yeah, we were literally would have been starting this week going into rehearsals, mm. uh, oh, into technical rehearsals. And then, um, yeah, the, the tour was supposed to start on the 24th of May, Sunday the 24th of May. What we've done is we've postponed and we've actually set it for exactly the same time period next summer. Literally date for date. So that seems to be the smart move all round. Just if, like, if you can take your dates and transfer them to the same period next year. Yes, know. between myself and our booking agent, we we went early with this. Um, not we didn't announce early, but we got the availabilities very early, and when this was all kicking off, so that we could. Because I mean, I knew that actually once things started to really progress with shutdown. But of course, everybody would be looking for dates for next year. So the earlier we got in, the closer we could get to a similar schedule. So we did really well. So we're very happy with that. I just hope things improve a lot in the coming months. But on an upside, if there is such a thing in this time, in these times, what has been amazing, again, looking mostly through social media to see, is people's different ways of being creative in yes. the times yes. of lockdown. I mean, it's just... It is heartwarming stuff and it is lovely, whether it's the Jules Holland, um, one of the singers that works with Jules Holland and her family doing their version of a lockdown song every night, or it's Brian doing his micro concerts. Mm. It's the You Are The Champions campaign, which is raising funds, uh, which again was just born out of doing being silly on Instagram initially. So, you know, and people are releasing stuff, you know, there's albums being released. So it's not curtailing people's ability to be creative, which is lovely. Juliet, on that note, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, fantastic to chat to you and catch up. Uh, thanks for coming to The Green Room. Oh, uh, you're very welcome. It's been great fun chatting with you. In The Green Room, sponsored by SOS Global Express. Proudly supporting the frontline efforts throughout the COVID-19 pandemic.